Well, hey there, church. It is so good to be with you today. My name is Frank Lucas. I am one of the pastors here at Community Covenant Church, and I am excited to be able to share this message with you. And today we're going to be taking a look at a passage found in John chapter 4, and I'd love to invite you to actually grab your Bibles at home and turn with me there. Now, today's message, we're going to be transitioning from our series, Becoming Salt and Light, and we're going to start to look a little bit ahead towards Easter, as today is in fact Palm Sunday. Now, Palm Sunday is the day that Jesus arrives in Jerusalem. Everyone is celebrating him. It's only days before he actually gives his life for us on the cross, and only a couple days later where he resurrects from the dead, from the grave, conquering death and sin both in our lives in, and in the world. Palm Sunday marks the beginning of a week that literally changed hearts and history for all of eternity. Palm Sunday is an important part of what happens. And what happens here is this. It begs the question of us, who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow the crowds or are you going to follow Christ? The reality is a crowd sometimes gets it right some of the time. The, the idea like a broken watch or a broken clock is right two times a day. A broken compass is accurate depending on which direction you're facing, but it's not going to be accurate 100% of the time. In fact, I would argue it's going to be wrong the majority of the time. But that doesn't mean just because the crowd gets it right sometimes that they're uh, worth following, if you will. All right, so here we are in John chapter 12. It says this, The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem, it swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. They're doing great here in this moment, but only a few short days later, what happens? Instead of shouting, hail the king of Israel, they're shouting, crucify him, crucify him. How quickly we shift from one to the other. When you follow the crowd, what you're going to get is ups and downs. When you follow the stream on social media, you're gonna get ups and downs. When you follow the news feed, you're gonna get ups and downs. When you follow the messages that we see on TV and on, when you listen to the messages on the radio, you're gonna get ups and downs. You never know what direction you're actually headed. That's the problem with pragmatism. Just because it works some of the time doesn't mean that it's inherently correct. Now contrast following the crowd with following Christ. You know exactly what you're going to get. You don't necessarily know what it's going to look like along the way. You don't necessarily know how you're going to get there. But what you do know is this, that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through him. That is something worth following. That is something you can hang your hat on. That is something that you can rely on to direct your path. 
So in this passage that we're going to look at this morning, John chapter 4, we're going to take a look today and we'll see two things. We're going to see, one, how we can receive the hope that Jesus has to offer, and two, how we can share the hope that we find in Christ. So I want to invite you to turn there to John chapter 4, and let's start this morning in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we can gather in this way. We know it's new, we know it's different, but yet we are still here. We are still gathering as your church. Father, we pray this morning as we look to your word that you would soften our hearts, that you would open our minds, that we would be receptive to what it is you have to say to us this morning. Lord, we pray that your words ring through, that you be our lead pastor in this moment. We pray for your blessing on this time, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, John chapter 4. So turn with me there. We're going to pick up right in verse 4. And it says, he had to go through Samaria on the way. Now that is actually a little bit misleading, and here's why. Yes, to get from Judea, they were in Jerusalem, all the way up to Capernaum where they were headed, which is in Galilee, it would be a direct line to go through Samaria. However, that's like saying we're going to go from Providence to Maine and we're going to go through Boston. Yeah, that's the easiest route to get there. However, when would you take 93 unless you actually had to? Right? Wouldn't we want to take 95 and kind of skirt around the city a little bit? Or better yet, take 495 and go way out of our way to avoid the mess that is traffic in Boston? That's exactly what happens here. When a Jew is headed from Jerusalem back up to Galilee, they would actually cross the Jordan River two times for the purpose of strictly avoiding Samaria. But yet that's not what happens here. Jesus takes a direct line. He goes right through the heart of Boston. He goes right through the heart of Samaria, which is pretty difficult terrain to travel to get to where he's going. He had to go through Samaria. He wanted to go through Samaria. Eventually he came to a Samaritan village of Sikar near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well at about noontime, the hottest part of the day. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. That's important to note here, because Jesus has an encounter with this woman, and he does it in private. That's so important to remember. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And, and so here we are. We see Jesus break through a couple of barriers. There's three barriers that I've noted as we've gone through this passage. The first barrier is this. There's a physical barrier, right? Jesus is on his way to Capernaum. He's on his way to Galilee, and he has to get through some, one, pretty treacherous terrain, but he has to go, really, even though it's a direct route, he's going out of his way to meet this woman at the well. He didn't wait for her to come to him. He went to her. He went to where she, he knew she would be. The second barrier, there's a social restriction that's in place. There's a permanent social distancing between Jews and Samaritans that goes way back. 
right? We're, we find ourselves in the middle of a social distancing restriction that's really difficult, but the reality is Jesus had another social restriction that was in place in this time. Jews and Samaritans did not interact. The fact that Jesus was a rabbi meant that he wouldn't engage with a woman in this sort of way in the middle of the day. So we have social restrictions, but we also have another barrier that Jesus breaks through. Jesus breaks through personal barrier. He breaks through a personal barrier. Personal needs and desires. You remember from the text that he was tired. He was traveling through the mountainside. It was the middle of the day. It was hot. He was tired. He stopped at the well to rest. I don't know about you, but this one stands out to me, and here's why. I know that when I'm tired, I'm going to be brutally honest with you, I don't really think about the needs of other people. I know that when I'm tired, what I do is I tend to focus on my own needs. When I'm tired, I'm more selfish than I am selfless. But yet, what do we see Jesus do? In the midst of his tiredness, in the midst of his weariness, he becomes selfless instead of selfish. I love that. Jesus breaks through barriers to reach those who need to be reached. And that's exactly what we are called to do. When it comes to sharing our faith, it's usually not a lack of desire, but the fact that there are barriers to overcome that stand in the way. The reality is, here's the thing, church. We can't be together right now. We can't be together right now. But here's what I know. That doesn't mean we can't connect. Let me tell you this. It's going to take a lot more than COVID-19. It is going to take a lot more than coronavirus to stop the name of Jesus Christ from being lifted high. I want you to think about that for a second. In unprecedented ways is right now, in this moment, the name of Jesus Christ being lifted high across the internet like never before. Right? Where people had to once come and gather at church to hear the name of Jesus Christ, now they can do it from the comfort of their living rooms. That is something worth celebrating. Jesus has gone out of his way to bring us to our knees to come to us to meet us where we are going to be. You can type amen in the comments right now because that is something that is awesome. The name of Christ is being lifted high like never before, and that is not something we should ever, ever step away from. We have been socially distanced, but we have not been socially disconnected. That is something we need to be excited about. It stinks that we can't gather together in church. I would love for you to all be here and filling these seats that are empty in this moment, but here's the thing. I'd rather meet you where you're at. I'd rather Christ meet you where you are at, and that's what's happening. We can't focus on what we can't do. We need to focus on what we can do. Jesus broke through barriers to reach the woman at the well. We need to do the same exact thing, and he does it with one simple thing. Here's what he does. He starts a conversation. Jesus starts a conversation. But then he does something that we typically don't do. He stops talking. Jesus starts a conversation, and then he stops to listen. Look what it says in verse 9. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? The second thing that we learn from Jesus here is that we need to stop and we need to listen. 
And we need to not only listen, we need to listen to understand. Too often, far too often, when we want to share our faith, what do we do? We start talking, we talk some more, and then we talk a little more on top of that. We never stop talking. And when we do finally stop talking and start to listen, we're not listening to understand the needs of the person we're sharing with. What are we doing? We're actually listening so that we can respond to whatever objection may come our way. We need to listen to understand, not to respond. It's a nuance, yes, but it's one that is so important. Jesus knows his chance to share is going to come, but first he needs to be content in listening. Our chance to share the gospel will come, but first we need to stop trying to share too much and start listening to understand. We need to be content to listen before we share. Jesus knows that he can't respond to her needs until he first understands. Jesus knows she will not respond until she knows that he cares. Jesus knows that she is not going to respond to him until she first understands that Jesus actually cares about her. 1 Peter 3 says this, if someone asks you about your Christian hope, Always be ready to explain it. Always be ready. But we need to do this in a gentle and respectful way. Gentleness comes from truly understanding someone's needs. Respect comes by listening. We need to be gentle and respectful. We need to understand, and we understand by listening. There's an old saying that says, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. People don't care what you know until they know what you care. When you care about someone, what does it do? What does it do? It opens up doors that were previously shut. When you care about someone, it opens up doors that were previously shut. The dialogue in John chapter 4 continues. Verse 10, it says, Jesus replied, if only you knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But she, can, she responds, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? When Jesus listens to understand and when he shows us that he cares, that, what happens here? The woman, how does she respond? She, just like us, she becomes defensive. She steers the conversation in a different direction. She points out all the logistical issues. Well, Jesus, you don't have a rope. You don't have a bucket. This well is deep. Besides, who do you think you are? Right? Like she comes at it from this place of negativity, just like if we're honest, we do too, all the time. She's listening to respond to Jesus' words, where Jesus listens to understand her. You see the difference? You see what's happening? You see the, the back and forth that's taking place here? But what happens? Because Jesus listens, because he understands, and because he shows that he cares, he's then able to offer her 
a solution. He's able to provide her with an invitation. Jesus replied to her, anyone who drinks the water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never, never thirst again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman says, give me this water. Then I will never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. You see, it's only because Jesus broke through barriers, only because he took time to understand what her needs and concerns were, that he is then able to offer her a solution to her problem. And when he does, he invites her to what? To a whole new way of life. And what does she do? She responds. She says, yes, absolutely, 100%. I want that. I need that. Because Jesus looks past her, her concern on the superficial level and looks at her heart and says, this is what you really need. I understand where you're coming from. I understand your hurts and your worries and your angst. I have a solution for you. Here's what it is. And he provides an invitation and she responds. But too often, what do we do? We lead with the solution and then we try to backfill the story. Right? Here's, here's the answer, and let me tell you why it matters. No, 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 no. Let me hear you. Let's understand what's actually going on in your life. And then once the person knows that we care, then we're able to share. We're able to offer a solution. We're able to invite them. Once people know you care, then you have the relational equity necessary to propose a solution. You have an ability to speak into their lives. We break through barriers. We need to listen to understand. We offer a solution. But then number four is this. We have to be honest. We have to be honest. Now this one's hard. Because too often we share what we think people want to hear more than what they need to hear. We share what we think people want to hear more than what they need to hear. Remember, we need to be gentle and we need to be respectful, but that doesn't mean we shy away from what needs to be said. Jesus always led with grace, always. But Jesus also always followed up with truth, a hard truth, a heavy truth. If you want people to respond, you need to lead with grace, 100% yes, but that grace needs to be followed up with truth. She already accepted the invitation though, didn't she? She already said, please, sir, I want this living water. What more needs to be said? You see, the reality in this here, the reality in this passage that we see is that, yeah, once we accept the invitation, we are then forced to confront our brokenness. We're then forced to confront uh, our shame, our guilt, and, and all these things in a whole new way, in a very real and honest way. Verse 16, go and get your husband, Jesus says. I don't have a husband, she replies. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you're not even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Boom, Jesus drops the mic in this moment. 
We could talk all morning about the double entendre of this passage, right? There is a significant political implication to what Jesus is saying here about uh, the Samaritans and, and their way of life and the way they think about things. But there's also a personal implication to this specific woman. It's like a double-edged sword. Jesus is cutting not only to the cultural, cutting through not only to the cultural things that are at play, but he's also going straight to the heart, the source of the problem. But what you need to know here more than anything is this. If you want living water, there are some things that are going to need to change in your life. There are things that simply need to be left behind. Again, if you keep reading through the story, you're going to see what happens is, again, she shifts. She takes a left turn and tries to turn the conversation, but Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh, we got to deal with this. We have to deal with this. She wants to make it about anything other than her brokenness, but Jesus says, no, we are going to confront this head on. Jesus wants to meet you at the well. In fact, he's going out of his way to meet you there. He listens. He understands. He's offering you something greater. but he's also gonna challenge you to come face to face with some of the things that you've been hiding from for some of you, maybe your entire lives. To come face to face with your hurts. To come face to face with your pain, your anger, your bitterness, the sin that you keep turning to day after day, week after week. Jesus is inviting you to come face to face with that so that you can lay it down at his feet. He doesn't want some of it. He wants all of it. He wants all of it. Because here's what happens when we bring it out into the light, when we lay it down at his feet, that's when God can do what only God can do. When we bring our junk, the stuff we want to keep into the dark, and we let it out of the dark, and we bring it into the light, and we lay it at his feet, that's when Jesus can do something beautiful with our brokenness. That's where he turns us into his masterpiece. But here's what we need to remember. We can't do that on our own. It's only through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we can even lay down our burdens at his feet. We keep going. If we're left to our own devices, we keep going to a well that's going to leave us thirsty over and over and over and over again. But Jesus is inviting you to a new well, to a new source of living water that is going to quench your thirst eternally. It's not, excuse me, it's only because of the living water of Jesus Christ that we're able to move on from our broken past to something greater. And that is good news for every single one of us right now. Whenever you are listening to this, that is good news. That is something we need to be excited about. That is why we proclaim Hosanna, glory in the high. Like that is, that is why we get excited this week because of what Christ has done. We are then able to leave our junk, our brokenness behind and just lay it at his feet so he can do what only he's capable of doing. 
Skipping down just a little bit as we're wrapping up here in, in verse 28, it says, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he, she's asking, could he be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. She left her jar. She left her old way of life, her old way of quenching her thirst at the well and ran towards the village to share what she now had. And what did they do? They came, they came expecting to see the Messiah, expecting to see the anointed one. And what did they find? They found him. They found Jesus. That's exactly what they found. We need to know that God is going to show up in our midst in unexpected ways. In these moments, we need to expect God to show up because he will. The fact is he shows up in the most obscure spots of our lives. At the most random of moments, the woman went to the well in the middle of the day, the hottest part of the day, so she wouldn't have an encounter with anyone. And instead, what happens? She has a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. Jesus shows up in the most random, unpredictable times in our lives. And right now may be that moment for you. Right now could be that moment. Right now could be the moment where you are standing at the well and you come face to face with Jesus. What we learn in this passage is that we need to expect that God is going to show up in unexpected ways. God is going to show up in unexpected ways. We have to believe that he wants to see a life changed, our lives changed by his son Jesus Christ more than we do. We need to expect that God is going to show up and do what only he is capable of doing. I don't know where you stand this morning. I don't know where you are in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been following him for a long time or perhaps this is your first time ever hearing any of this. But what I do know is like this. Uh, what I do know is this. Just like the woman at the well, God wants to do something in you, but he also wants to do something through you. Jesus wants to do something in you in this very moment in time, but he also wants to do something through you in this moment in time. God is standing at the well. He is waiting to meet you there. The question is, how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond? Will you meet him at the well? Will you accept the invitation to a whole new way of life? Will you go and tell everyone you know the good news? That's the invitation. That's the invitation.